Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the first Triangles webinar of the new year, providing us with the opportunity to let in the light and circulate it around the world. Christ proclaimed, I am the light of the world, and it is the sacred light veiled and hidden in each of us that is the guarantee of our immortality and evolutionary flowering into the Christ or soul consciousness. Triangles is truly an Aquarian group service, created and vivified by groups of three and powered by the Great Invocation. And daily we help the network of light to grow and glow in this way. Earlier in the 20th century, the Alice Bailey writings predicted that the lighted tide of the new life would increasingly sweep into the consciousness of humanity. Inevitably, this added light and life has illumined both the good and the not so good. Humanity has expanded its outreach of consciousness beyond not just the personal and family group, but also beyond the national, as we witness in the swathes of goodwill workers in all fields who work for human unity. And of course, this light has also revealed terrible instances of inhumanity and selfishness as well. The energies that are currently pouring into the planet stimulate whatever thoughts, desires, and ambitions people have. Just as the sun and rain bring to life whatever seeds are lying dormant in the soil, energies contacted in meditation need conscious direction through love-infused thoughts along constructive pathways. And we know that this is being helped by the new empowering energy of the seventh ray of ceremonial order that imposes rhythm and ritual on human thinking and results in organized activity on the physical plane to express that thinking. Many people think of ritual in terms of formal outer ceremonies, such as in religious services. But the most important aspect is the ritual of organized thinking in the heart. The soul itself imposes its rhythmic influence on the personality through the regular practice of the rituals of morning meditation. And this is why a small amount of daily meditation, no matter the quality, is far more valuable than sporadic endeavor. But just as the waves of the sea grow in height and power until they finally break as they approach the shore, daily meditation steadily builds energy up as we work with it through lighted thinking and then release it as a wave of light, love and power into the world through the use of the great invocation at the end of our meditations. And through the daily rhythm of visualizing our individual triangle as part of a rhythmic global activity, we are steadily developing a new understanding of ritual as a ceremony in consciousness. We have no outer temple, but instead we create and beautify an interior etheric structure of energies through which even higher energies can safely pour into the world. In the Alice Bailey writings, we read that one of the most essential needs of our times 
is the rebuilding of the shrine of human living. And triangles is the ultimate symbol of this. The triangles network is the new etheric temple of humanity. And we work at the shrine, directing the potencies of divinity into the congregation of humanity. So the shrine in the collective group mind that we are energizing right now takes on even more significance when we consider the etymology of the word shrine. And we trace it back to shrin, an old English word for ark. Ark shrines appear in many of the world's religions. They symbolize the womb in which the light germ of all of nature floats or broods. The ark shrine is the vehicle for the universal light, akasha or akasa, in older spiritual text. It is, quote, the spiritual essence which pervades all space. It holds within itself the eternal ideation of the universe, from which all that exists is born by separation or differentiation. So at its own level, the human mind can operate in a similar way as an arc shrine for the ideation or intuitive thoughts of the soul and give birth to divine ideas in the lower worlds. During meditation, consciousness is bathed in a specific quality of light within the arc shrine evoked by the seed thought in use. And when the seed thought has done its work, it is discarded and contemplation follows, leaving the mind to roam freely in the conditioned energies of the soul that are pouring into the shrine. And the seed thought or spiritual theme we will be using in a moment is focused on the Christ, the world teacher, and his reappearance which is central to the great invocation and our triangles work and all who love the triangles work share a collective responsibility to ensure that the network touches the vaults of heaven and reaches down to the densest plains of earth helping to germinate the new civilization and culture we realize that light is a substance and as such it is capable of molding form to carry the waters of life and dispense them according to the spiritual need of humanity. Our role is to work at cultivating the psychological qualities of light, the light of wisdom and the light of love in particular, echoing echoing the two great leaders, the Buddha and the Christ, working behind the scenes with equal effect to help enlighten human consciousness. So now let's go into our visualization to empower the anchoring on earth the energies of light, love, and spiritual power embodied in the great invocation. We link in thought as a soul as a point of love and light with all those throughout the world who are part of a triangle service network.
you visualize the world situation as best we can and see people everywhere glowing with a dim light and here and there points of brighter light where men and women of spiritual intention and of loving hearts are working for their fellow human beings. Visualize through the creative imagination the vivid light of the spiritual kingdom streaming towards humanity and slowly merging with the light which is already in humanity. say together the first stanza of the adapted Great Invocation. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. upon the reappearance of the coming world teacher, realize that no matter by what name he may be called in the many world religions, he is still the same great identity. Reflect and speculate upon the possible results of his appearance.
say the second stanza of the Great Invocation. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. Endeavour to concentrate your fixed intention to serve and to spread love in your surroundings and realise that insofar as you can do these things, you are attempting to blend your personal will with the divine will. Then say, stanza three of the Great Invocation. From the centre where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. Sound the Om, dedicating the threefold personality to the working out of the divine plan. Love. Pleasure in introducing you to Simon Marlowe, who many of you will know from his talks and presentations for the Lucis Trust in London over the years. As Simon started his career with us many years ago, working for the Lucis Press, which is the publishing company, and before joining the trust, which he also continued. He was a professional pianist. I'm sure some of you will share my surprise at seeing the title, Triangles in the Rubble, which was fortunately followed by the words, Phoenix from the Ashes. So just to say that before you start, Simon, that after the presentation, there'll be Time for a few questions or comments, should anyone wish to do so by raising their hands. Simon, please go ahead. Thank you, Chris. And uh, I hope you can all hear me. It's really lovely to take part in this Triangles webinar. Now, just before Christmas, 
my wife and I went to a wonderful performance of Handel's famous oratorio, The Messiah. We do this nearly every year and are always really inspired by the sublime music, the various arias and famous choral passages such as the Alleluia Chorus. But this year, we were actually sitting in seats very near the front of the auditorium. And the result of this was that we were able to pay particular attention to the words of the libretto. This was compiled by a colleague of Handel's called Charles Jennings, and he extracted various passages from the Old and New Testaments of the Christian Bible and combined them into a formidable statement about the coming of the Christ. Of course, these texts and their setting by Handel need to be placed in the context of a deeply devout period in the evolution of Christianity. Nevertheless, the truths which they embody and point to are timeless and can be applied to most historical periods and especially now to our own tumultuous time. We hear words like, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. And we hear the bass soloist sing, Why do the nations so furiously rage together? And why do the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Later we also hear the bass sing, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We can gain a more global perspective of this by recognising that the foreknowledge of a coming world teacher is beautifully present in the scriptures of the various world religions. For example, there is the, excuse me, there is the famous passage from the Bhagavad Gita, which sounds a similar note. It's the extract quoted by the Tibetan at the beginning of his book on the reappearance of the Christ. Wherever there is a withering of the law and an uprising of lawlessness on all sides, then I manifest myself. For the salvation of the righteous and the destruction of such as do evil, for the firm establishing of the law, I come to birth age after age. In our chaotic times, we can perhaps go over the top and exaggerate how bad the world situation is. But who can today doubt the severity of the crises that humanity is facing and, let it be remembered, has largely brought upon itself? In fact, that deep thinker, Ian McGilchrist, with many others, I'm sure, has termed what we are all facing as a meta-crisis. We are being challenged on every front. Politics appears to be in an introspective, self-serving mess. Malevolent leaders and would-be leaders who clearly do not have the good of the whole at heart are stirring up resurgent nationalisms and ethnic hatreds. We see the emergence of new and ruthlessly cruel dictators. Financially, the world is cruising to a disaster on a lemming economy of perpetual growth of consumption which our finite world simply cannot sustain. The state of the natural environment is causing major concern, though we should rejoice that so much is now being done to address this particular issue. Then there are major conflicts in various parts of the world where leaders are pursuing their ends militarily as they believe they can get away with it in, with impunity. And the reason for this is the breakdown in the diplomatic communications and relationships between the leading powers and the lack of moral and financial support for the United Nations as peacekeeper, a role which it fulfilled with great success 
in helping to resolve previous 20th century conflicts. This aspect of the UN's mandate is desperately needed now in so many places. Israel, Gaza, Yemen, Ukraine, Russia, Sudan, and many other places. The reality is that the very foundations of our societies and institutions all around the world are being challenged and shaken, and rightly so. They're being examined before the bar of truth and justice. They're being assessed as to the values which motivate them. Are they the personality values of materialistic selfishness? Or are they the values of the soul which are predominating? And these, of course, are the values of compassion, of selfless love, the capacity to sacrifice for the good of the whole. I'm sure we can all get downhearted when we see the falsehoods, the cruelties, the lack of compassion, in particular in the use of highly mechanised and digitised war machines to impose selfish solutions on difficult national and international disputes. But if we will only open our eyes, we can also see people embodying the values of the soul, busying away, largely unreported, to provide creative solutions to all of humanity's problems. This is a wonderful testament to the fact that wherever there is a problem, the love of the human soul will work to provide a genuine and lasting healing. People everywhere are yearning for the truth, are longing to simply be able to trust each other again. We recognise people's basic needs for a safe environment in which to raise their children and simple but essential things like the security of supplies of good food and water. We know and can be encouraged by the fact that people in their millions are joining together all around the world to make all these things possible, to remedy injustice, to nurture the environment, to educate our children into a world of beauty and awe at the wonder of the amazing universe we all live in, to recognise anew the beauty at the centre of all created forms that can be evoked. But we know that if forms crystallise and can no longer carry the reality and energy of the soul, then these forms will decay and rightfully die. Much of our present world structures come into this category. But although difficult, this death is ultimately benevolent. It happens so that new and better structures can be born and be developed that will carry and transmit into the world the soul energies of a newly incarnating civilization based more on the timeless spiritual values that we all know about, that we cherish, and which we determine to embody in our daily lives. The question we all have to face is how to come to terms with this dual reality. Someone recently wrote into the arcane school the other day and expressed it so beautifully. She said, we need to see what is being born and not what is dying. All these world disturbances can be likened to earthquakes, I think. And these earthquakes not, are not just on the physical plane, but mental and emotional too. For example, the tectonic plates of the mind, the thought forms that humanity viewed as so certain and stable and which it was believed would carry us all forward into a better future, have ruptured and been exposed as false. Here are two examples. Firstly, the concept of a perpetually growing economy, which I mentioned earlier. Secondly, the inviolability of the nation state with preserved national borders, or should we call them barriers now, I wonder. And these mental shatterings are, of course, to be welcomed because it gives opportunity for something new and better to be born. But the powerful and the rich and those with vested interests in the status quo are fighting hard to prevent this happening, as we can see only too clearly. Then there are emotional earthquakes perhaps better thought of as tidal waves or even tsunamis. 
They affect us all as the collision between our collective unredeemed materialistic desires and irresistible force meets the immovable object of the material world that is unable to meet them. And then, of course, there are the solar plexus earthquakes of mass and intense emotional trauma that directly are affecting people in the many existing conflict zones around the world. And they indirectly affect all of us around the world as we watch helplessly at the unfolding and almost unbelievable suffering of so many. And then, of course, there are the physical plane earthquakes, where landscapes are fractured and buildings, sometimes whole cities are destroyed, which incidentally reminds us that generally it is buildings that kill people, not earthquakes. In this respect, it is interesting to look at the earthquake that hit Christchurch in New Zealand's South Island in 2011. This 6.3 magnitude quake caused many buildings to collapse, and of course many people were killed. Now, one of the main buildings to be irretrievably damaged was the Anglican Cathedral. But what should capture our attention is an astonishing initiative that saw uh, a new place of worship rise out of the rubble in a remarkably short time. It is called the Cardboard Cathedral, and was designed by the Japanese architect Shigeru Ban. It opened in August 2013, just two years after the earthquake. The architect is known for his innovative work with paper, particularly recycled cardboard tubes, which he uses to quickly and efficiently house disaster victims. Many of his notable designs are structures which are temporary, prefabricated, or incorporated inexpensive and unconventional materials in innovative ways. But of particular interest to us is the shape of the church he designed. I'm sure you can see it on your screen now. As you can see, it is a triangular structure. Of course, its foundation is a square, most buildings are. But rising from this is the symbol of the triangle. And within the overall triangle is the west window, which itself is a tapestry of triangles filled with colourful and uplifting religious symbols. To me, this is such a beautiful and grounded image of what is humanly possible, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And it seems to me that the triangles meditations that all of us participate in every day are providing the energy matrix for humanity to build out of the rubble of the dying world order, something so new and so practical that it will become increasingly desired and increasingly possible. And again, this on every plane. On the mental plane, for example, a triangle is a beautiful symbol of cooperative effort linking upward to the soul. Separateness is no longer a barrier but transmutes into a demonstration of shared diversity. Each unique part contributes to the kaleidoscope of beauty of the whole. On the emotional plane, perhaps, we can see the triangle as the path. It is wide in the foreground and tapers like an isosceles triangle to a one-pointed aspiration towards the buddhic dimensions of the, of the intuition. The astral pairs of apparently irreconcilable opposites that loom so large in the foreground eventually resolve into the unified reality of love-wisdom. Indeed, with the help of our worldwide triangles, we shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as Handel's Messiah expressed it. And to finish with a extract from Roger Fry's famous Sleep of Prisoners poem. Thank God our time is now, when wrong comes up to face us everywhere, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul men ever took. Triangles, indeed, from the rubble, and the human soul, phoenix-like, will rise again from the ashes of our present world disorder. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. 
those wonderful thoughts and especially for expressing the idea that while the situation, you know, as we all know on the outer level seems so dire, when, uh, as the poem said, when wrong comes up to face us everywhere, this is precisely what makes this time so spiritually exciting and filled with opportunity. Yes. I, I think it brings to mind, too, the fact that spirituality, it's just a reminder that spirituality is not necessarily a peaceful experience, but often a disruptive one as we awaken to new levels of service and understanding. I know. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, it is always difficult. One would hope that the transition would be smooth and effortless, but that is just not in the nature of things. And I, I think it was Carl Eric Edris who uses the symbol of the butterfly to great effect, who has to emerge, who has to break out of the chrysalis. And without that rupture, it would never be able to be born. And I think C.S. Lewis put it also with very amusingly. He said, we are all eggs and we've been incubating, but we must be hatched or we will go bad. <laughs> I'm sure that um, some of our listeners might want to add some comments or ask a question. If you do, please raise your hands. Hand now. I'm just trying to. Look and see where. I can't see any hands. No. Not yet. I hope I haven't struck everybody down. You mentioned Ian McGilchrist, you know. Yes. Um, I wonder if everybody knows who he is, just to maybe say a few words about that? Yes, Ian McGilchrist is a really interesting thinker. He is um, a neurosurgeon, I think it is, and he's been fascinated by um, the difference in the hemispheres of the brain. And about 40 years ago, people talked glibly about right brain and left brain in a completely simplistic way, which was quite quickly dismissed by um, scientists and medical people. But <laughs> Ian McGilchrist noticed that there, there is what he calls an asymmetry of the brain. The right hemisphere and left hemisphere are not the same shape. And although um, both sides of the brain perform similar functions, Nevertheless, there is this discrepancy and, you know, the one side being more capable of intuitive thinking and looking at things in the whole and the other side being much more um, intellectual and only seeing the part and not the whole. And I'm afraid I can't tell you terribly much because I haven't finished his book yet. But mm -hmm. the book It's huge, I believe. <laughs> It is, and the um, it's called the master and his emissary, and the the emissary is the intellect and the left brain, and the master is the right brain, and the trouble is that the emissary thinks it is the master, and yes. when it behaves like that, nothing but troubles follow follows, and. Yeah. I think he, his work is the most beautiful metaphor for yes. the um, difference between the soul or the abstract mind and the concrete mind. Yeah, well, still explaining that, you know, that both sections have their value yes. and are needed, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's yeah, like the, the intellect. Yes, Carry I mean, on. The, the Tibetan emphasizes there's no point in unfolding intuition until you've got a good intellectual mind a well-stocked mind to be able to interpret what the intellect the uh, intuition um gives you 
a, a sense of real spiritual discrimination is needed. Sure. So we, it doesn't look like we are going to have anybody raise their hand. That's interesting. Out of 200 participants, surely one can raise a hand. <laughs> there is well, one was... hand raised, Chris. Sorry, I didn't see that. Yeah, Robin Flatley. Oh, Robin, yes, I can see that now. Robin, please go ahead. You have to unmute I... Hello. Hello. I can hear you. Wonderful talk. I mean, like beyond the beyond. Okay, there's that. I'll put a pin on that. Um, and I also want to say that what was voiced today by both of you, you are such great speakers and you do carry the light. I can feel it. Okay, I'm going to cry. I'll try not to cry because um, it will stop me from being able to talk. But it's, it's just so hard hard these days to find like-minded people who are concerned about the same thing and have a solution, have hope, and have the courage to express it, and offering triangles. I mean, I just happened upon this group. I didn't know about it for a long time, and yet I studied about the Tibetan in, in 1987. It's not like it's new information, but I love triangles and I'm so thrilled to become part of what you're doing here because I think it is the way. And I just have to say that before these talks, I felt so alone. My tears are not tears of sadness. My tears are tears of joy because the layer of isolation that I had been feeling is peeled away. So yeah, we aren't all raising our hands, but boy, when we do, we got a lot to say. Thank you <laughs> deeply. Thank you. I believe we have a, a couple of other people. I cannot see John. John Horan. John, please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for bringing these wonderful thoughts to us. When we talk about the return of the great teacher, I think often that we've been prepared since the end of the last round of great conflicts. The reappearance of the Christ is foreshadowed by the new meme of flying saucers. They were essentially to prepare humanity for this great transition. Perhaps you're familiar with a film called The Day the Earth Stood Still one of the earlier ones, uh, but it has a very Christ-like motif to it. I've been featuring this material in some of my writings and other public works, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, about how perhaps we've been prepared slowly over a few generations to this wrenching change to our society when we discover that the local powers of our governments are not the ultimate powers here on Earth. And with that... Thank you, John. I think we have one other person. Catherine. Yes, hello, thank you. I just... Catherine. This uh, uh, is so delightful um, to recognize that beneath the forms that we see on the news and all over the world um, is... is uh, the um the phoenix the the hope and the joy um that is is hidden beneath the form so i i just want to say thank you and i also have something about ian mcgilchrist which is the only one of his books that i actually got through from the beginning <laughs> to the end 
and it's called Ways of Attending, and it's 32 pages long. So it's a, a delightful little summary, not, I think, of all that's in his new book, which I think is three volumes. Um, yeah. But um, if you want to just know a little bit about his observations, um, this book is one that I think um, we, we could get through. So ways of attending how our divided brain constructs the world. So thank you for this afternoon, everyone. It's been delightful. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Catherine. That's a wonderful title, that book. Thank <laughs> you for bringing it to our attention. And I think that's a, a lovely comment to, to close on, was we've still got to do our triangles meditation, and time is ticking by. But, you know, thank you for everyone who wanted to share and um, for listening. So let's go now into our meditation. Energizing the planetary network of triangles. We come together as a group unity on the mental plane. Identify as a soul with a world group functioning through three planetary centres, London, Geneva and New York, as a triangle of light. We extend identification through the soul to the new group of world servants, to the hierarchy and to the Christ, the transcendent point of synthesis at the centre of every triangle, and to the triangle of energies standing behind the Christ. Extend identification through the soul to the new group of world servers, to the hierarchy 
and to the Christ. Identify the center Shambhala, the center of purpose and of power. Recognize the synthesis of three streams, cosmic energy within Shambhala, where the will of God is known. Using the dedication in the center of the will of God, I stand, nor shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Visualize a network of lighted triangles underlying the entire outer world of physical life and events. See the network linking all triangle units and relating all points of light throughout the world. Relating the world of spiritual realities, the hierarchy, to the world of experience, humanity, and acting as a channel of distribution within humanity for the spiritual energies pouring through the hierarchy. Finally, see the network transforming 
the planetary etheric vehicle to receive and circulate the energies of the soul and the triad. Will, love, light. Realize that the energies of light, love, and the will to good evoked by all triangle workers pulsating through the planetary network of triangles are having an inevitable effect within the three worlds, mental, emotional, and etheric, of human evolution. Lifting human consciousness and helping to create the path of light for the feet of the Christ. reflect on the purpose, function and right development of the Triangle's network as a hierarchical activity. Blended with the group, stand with positive intent 
is a station of radiant light within the network of light and goodwill. We sound the adapter gratification, directing the triple energies through the triangles network and throughout the consciousness of humanity. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the centre which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. We sound the sacred word, the Om, silently to ourselves. Grateful thanks again to Simon for his presentation and to all of you for adding your lighted contribution today. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Good afternoon and good evening. <laughs>